This is Everything Energy, produced by the International Energy Agency. Hello, and welcome back to Everything Energy, the IEA's new podcast where we take a look at current energy issues as well as the future of the global energy system. I'm Tanya Dihan. And I'm Jad Mawad. And uh, welcome back to this episode. We're delighted to have uh, Laura Kotze back with us. Uh, if you've been with us for a few episodes, uh, you know that we have been talking about the World Energy uh, Outlook Special Report on Sustainable Recovery, and we just launched this report just a couple of hours ago um, w- with Laura, with our executive director, um, uh, Dr. Birol. Um, and this is a, a, an incredibly important uh, piece of analysis for us, which we have conducted in collaboration with the IMF, and we are very excited, as I said, to launch it today. Um, so good morning. Welcome, Laura, to, to, the, uh, to the program. Good morning, Jad, and good morning, Tanya. Thanks for being with us, Laura. Uh, Laura is the Chief Energy Modeler here at the IA, and she heads the team that produces our flagship publication, as Jad mentioned, the World Energy Outlook. Um, in our first episode, Laura shared with us some really quite astounding figures about the impact that the various levels of lockdown around the world were having on energy use. And after many months of rigorous analysis, she is here today to talk us through the Sustainable Recovery Plan. For many governments around the world, climate change is, of course, a top priority. But right now, they are being faced with an unprecedented health crisis and subsequently the biggest economic shock since the 1930s. Laura, can you walk us through the three key elements of this analysis? Yes, thank you, Tanya. Clearly, what we are seeing is that governments are uh, in need of driving out the uh, global economy uh, from the deepest recession we have had since uh, the 1930s. Just looking at uh, the second quarter of 2020, we have seen nearly 300 million people filing from unemployment. So the compounding uh, nature of uh, the health crisis going into an economic crisis is leading to huge unemployment levels. So in the government's mind around the world, boosting the economy and putting people back to work are two key priorities. At the same time, we shouldn't forget that the energy transitions and climate change are underway. So maintaining the energy sector resilience while moving on to a more sustainable energy system is the key third pillar we have analyzed in this report. So basically three simultaneous pillars, stimulating economic growth, bringing back and creating new jobs and ensuring sustainability and resilience of the energy system. Uh, thank you. So we're going to go through uh, the main aspects in a little bit more detail. But before we get into that, um, this is a bit of a different type of analysis and different type of report for the IA and certainly for the World Energy Outlook. So the time frame here is shorter than the kind of work that you typically do. Um, and it is also uh, more of a plan that uh, is being put forward. Can you just talk about the what makes this re- report a little bit different? That we are presenting, you are you have worked with the team on a plan that you're putting forward to governments. I'd say that there are uh, three uh, key novelties here in the in the way we we have worked. First of all, um, partnering with the International Mon- Monetary Fund, and that really brought in all the macroeconomic knowledge uh, while we were bringing the energy expertise. So this is, I would say, the first uh, the first difference compared to what we normally do. The second um, is uh, an entire new uh, area of analysis that is relating to jobs and employment, really responding to our government's request to understand what is the role of the energy sector to bring back new jobs. So we have started a completely new area of work there in partnering with uh, industries, uh, um, with the, uh, ILO and a number of other 
uh, of other institutions. And third is really looking into the short term. So we looked at pipeline of projects around the world, uh, what countries have, uh, have in their minds, uh, what companies have in their minds to make this as grounded as possible to reality and really short term. This plan has to hit immediately to make sure that the economies recover now and not in five, 10 years time. So we really looked at what is feasible and doable at country level, at project level within the next three years. Because here what the guiding principle, I suppose, is is that uh, these economic recovery plans that are being considered by governments around the world need to stimulate, uh, boost economic growth, need to create jobs. Um, and so I wonder how in your conversations from the feedback we've been getting, you've been getting, um, where does the energy sector fit in? Uh, if the primary objective of a lot of the plans, understandably, are to boost the economy, where does the energy sector fit into this? So up to now, governments have already put forward a recovery and relief plan for uh, worth around $9 trillion. Uh, Some of them uh, have started focusing on, uh, on energy. Very clearly now, the first priority for governments has been the health sector and making sure that the economy doesn't melt down. But it's clear if you look back what has happened in past crises, looking back at the financial crisis, uh, stimulus has come in waves. So there is a first stimulus that this is the one that we are seeing now is really uh, creating uh, the, 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 the necessary nets to avoid the worst. Then there is the phase in which you start building back. So, and here is really where uh, our report is focusing, is the next phase. So we are trying to give government advice now as they're starting to turn their attention on boosting the economy back. Clearly the energy sector has a key role in complementing other other measures. Uh, In the uh, World Energy Investment Report that we published a few weeks ago, we saw that in 2020, global investment in the energy sector will go down 20%. Um, And obviously, to boost economic growth, we're going to need to see direct government investment into this area. So what kind of investment is needed from governments? So we we did this analysis to understand really bottom up, as I mentioned earlier, project by project and understand country by country, what is the overall level of investment needed? And the answer is very simple, one trillion a year for the next three years, 2021 to 2023. How much is the government role there? The government role is huge, but is huge in the following sense. There, there is a need for government investments, and this is around, to our assessment, 30% of the total. But government's role is hugely important to attract private capital for the remainder 70%. We think that this is doable. There are a number of policies that governments can put in place, speeding up permitting, uh, putting market regulations on auctions for renewables, uh, cash for clankers, uh, uh, starting building retrofits from governments, but very clearly there is a dual government role here, directing investment and at the same time enabling cap- capital from the pri- private sector to flow in. And so which areas in the in the energy sector are we hoping to see that kind of investment? So there are mainly three areas where we are seeing uh, investment needs growing. The first is the electricity sector, and here I would say basically two broad areas in new generating capacity, mostly renewables. We are talking about new solar uh, plants. We are talking about wind repowering. We are talking about uh, lifetime extension of nuclear, for example. But at the same time, importantly, is electricity grids. Uh, Those are going to be fundamental for uh, the economic uh, recovery and for the resilience and security of of the energy system. Second area is efficiency. Efficiency in buildings. Uh, buildings retrofit is a huge job multiplier, but is also a money saver. 
that can then re-inject money into the economy and then create longer-term growth. Efficiency, for example, of uh, industries, and in particular, motors in food and, uh, and, and, uh, and processing for, for beverages. This could as well uh, be directed to an area where uh, the economy is sluggish now and could create more growth. So electricity, efficiency, and then another category that is on infrastructure in general, for example, urban infrastructure and new innovative technologies. Uh, hydrogen, CCUS, uh, SMRs, all of those. So three areas, electricity, efficiency, and infrastructure slash emerging technologies. So th- these are sectors or um, areas that could see um, uh, new employment or jobs being created. Um, what what are the what's the impact on these uh, n- net new creations? But also, what is the economic impact of the plan? Uh, if the priority is, as we were discussing earlier, uh, economic stimulus. Um, and we're putting forward a plan for the energy sector. What is the overall impact of that? So among the 30 uh, measures uh, uh, that we have analyzed, we have in the end selected the one that have the largest job multipliers and the one that can boost uh, the most economic growth. So if those one trillion investment was directed to the energy sector, as we mentioned earlier, we would see two main outcomes from the macroeconomic perspective. First, the economy would grow every year of an, for an additional 1.1 percentage points. What does it mean to make it a bit more concrete? By 2023, the global economy would be 3.5% larger, or this means basically adding an economy like Japan to the global economy in the next three years. is a very large increase in, uh, in GDP. At the same time, these investments would create every year 9 million new jobs. Some of those would would save jobs that are at risk today in the energy sector. Some of those would be net increase. Today, at risk in the energy sector, there are 6 million jobs for 2020 for the very reason that uh, Yujad uh, and Tanya mentioned earlier, this tremendous lump, unprecedented lump in energy sector investment we are seeing. This will lead and is leading already to jobs layoff. So there is a need to make sure that uh, not all of those uh, uh, job layoffs will continue and at the same time create a new one. So every year we are expecting 9 million new jobs created by the plan. So one of the words that you mentioned earlier, Laura, uh, is resilience. Um, and this is really key to the sustainable recovery plan. Um, it's it's really intertwined with our uh, reliance on electricity and uh, the, the security of electricity into the future. So can you tell us um, how the plan addresses the future resilience of the energy system? Mm. I would like to start, Tanya, thank you for this question. It's a very important one. Um, I would like to address a bit of the duality that we are seeing now. On the one hand, the reliance of electricity is growing. Electricity demand is growing mostly uh, due to the fact that we are relying on internet more and more. We saw a 40% internet increase over the past uh, six, uh, six months or so. So we need electricity system to be, uh, to be resilient and be there to supply this increasing demand for electricity. At the same time, what we are seeing is that investment in grids that are really the backbone of uh, the resilience of the electricity sex- system are going down. So we need to reconcile those two aspects, an increasing uh, need for a resilient energy sector and investments that are not picking up what, what, what would be needed. So in our plan, we are really putting focus on um, strengthening the grids, modernizing the grids, extending the grids to make sure that the countries in the world are 
prepared for this and future shocks to come. Making sure that the electricity is provided to hospitals, homes, workers all over the world, all the time it's needed. So the IEA, uh, for the, really the last few months, have been has been leading the calls to say that these economic recovery plans must address the clean energy transition and need to make sure that uh, CO2 emissions that we have seen drop in uh, uh, probably this year, that needs to be the peak. It needs to it needs to address uh, uh, long-term climate challenges. So walk us through a little bit, maybe even in some detail, how the plan addresses that. Because fundamentally, um, this is something that um, very strongly the sense is that um, 2019 needs to be the peak, and this plan addresses that if it's put into effect. I think that we start from uh, um, a worry that is uh, uh, what has happened in the past. What has happened in the past is that uh, uh, every time we have seen uh, an economic downturn, such as in the global financial crisis, governments have, of course, um, stimulated the economy. But what has happened afterwards to emissions has been a tremendous increase. So if you look back 2008-2009, the contraction of uh, uh, energy-related emissions was around half a gigaton, and the rebound was three times larger. And with that rebound came uh, an additional capital stock that was carbon intensive. So creating a legacy of emissions for many years to come. So out of that stimulus plan, we saw emissions growing up to 2019-2018. Now, we are today in a very different situation that we were 10-12 years ago. We found ourselves now with technologies that are much cheaper and then can create uh, at the same time a stimulus for the economy and new jobs. It was not the case 10-12 years ago. Let me give you the example of solar. Solar is today one-fifth cheaper than uh, 12 years ago. This means that uh, if you invest uh, in one million dollars of uh, solar technologies today, we can create uh, over 12 uh, 12 jobs. This is uh, this is something that uh, back 12 years ago it was not this kind of multipliers. Today's uh, we find ourselves in a very privileged com- position compared to many to, to, to 12 years ago. Now, I think that the key message of this report is indeed the following: there is uh, not a choice to be made between economic growth or jobs and emission reduction. The three can go hand in hand, and this report proves it with the facts and findings. Uh, emissions, thanks to the investment directed in uh, the, 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 the areas that we have identified earlier, would be on a decline. Would, would mean, this would mean that uh, we would move to a different step change to go towards the Paris Agreement. Paris Agreement, the first thing that it requires is emission peak and then start deeply, deeply declining. If those amount of investment are mobilized and uh, are put in place, we are sure that this would happen. Emissions would not rebound back to 2019 levels. So this seems like a win-win-win situation. And as I was mentioning earlier, uh, this is a plan that was launched uh, this morning. Can you just maybe share with us some of the initial reactions you've received? And also, this will be one of the main items, in a way, on the menu of a summit that the IA is organizing on July 9. Uh, the IA Clean Energy Transition Summit, where we are gathering governments uh, from more of over 40 um, ministers, uh, industry representatives, etc., to discuss precisely this aspect. So 
uh, w w share with us a little bit, if you if you please, uh, some of the reactions you've been receiving. Thank you, Jad. Maybe uh, again, um, start for saying that this is really a process. So we started uh, this a few months ago with a webinar collecting feedback and guidance from governments, industry, civil society on what they thought the IEA could add more value in the new circumstances we are finding in. And the guidance there was clear. We need to understand if this is possible and what needs to be done. So we started pulling a lot of resources together within the IEA, but also tapping around our governments, industry, etc., to realize this uh, and put together this plan. So. Uh, today, the first reaction when the executive director, yourself and me launched the, the report has been already quite positive. So I think that there is a lot of interest and a call from the IEA on uh, putting forward what is the analysis and what is the detailed uh, plan that the uh, the energy sector can, can, can put forward. Clearly, we're going to discuss this on the 9th of July. Uh, some uh, countries, notably the European Union, has already put forward the suggestion for a European Green Deal in many aspects similar to what have been putting forward. And we do hope that certainly the discussion on the 9th of July will uh, energize uh, more uh, of those uh, similar type of plans. So looking forward, this is a three-year plan, but what are the kind of coalitions that would need to be sort of put into place for this to have a meaningful or in a long-term impact? I mean, um, you're saying that there's really no trade-off or there shouldn't be a trade-off between achieving these climate goals and um, boosting economic growth, recreating jobs that have been lost because of the pandemic. Um, but w what do you would you like to see now from uh, you know stakeholders, people who are listening to this show, um, to really take this plan forward? So I think that uh, we may have seen um, a bit of divides uh, um, between the energy community, the finance community, the development community, and and. Uh, uh, and the energy community. And uh, I think what the executive director has really asked uh, for now several months is to put together a grand coalition. And the grand coalition is we need all these actors together to bring the uh, the agenda forward. And it's not several agendas. This has become really just one agenda. And one agenda is uh, bring this economic growth, uh, jobs and climate all, all at once. So. Uh, those divisions uh, have just simply to, uh, they need to uh, to be erased. Um, and I am looking forward to uh, to, to seeing uh, all these ministers coming together on the 9th of July and see them discussing this. Working with the IMF was already uh, enlightening. Uh, so we need to, to reach out and work with the investors, um, with the development community to make sure that uh, this as, uh, is, 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 is I will use a word that is, I don't like myself very much, but it's really holistic. So I think once we have demonstrated that uh, there, is, there are not several multiple agendas running in parallel, but one, we need to work all together. And there's going to be a very strong commitment from the IEA for leadership in, um, in driving forward this agenda, in bringing uh, together this coalition, in putting this uh, plan and also longer term innovation uh, longer-term um, sustainability plans on the agenda uh, for um, uh, for the for governments to consider and to to uh, to enact. This is a strong commitment that we have for the IEA, uh, uh, certainly. And and this uh, this report is in a way sort of the first step uh, following kind of the damage assessment following the crisis. Um, 
Uh, we, you mentioned there's a health crisis that's followed by a e deep economic shock, and now there's a recovery moment, and, and there is a moment here that should not be missed. And this is a very, very strong commitment from the IEA to be driving that and to, to have a leadership role in, in this. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much, Laura, for joining us here again on Everything Energy. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Jad. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Tanya. Um, it's been really fascinating to follow the analysis that you've been producing over the last few months in response to the COVID-19 crisis and now to see the evolution of the Sustainable Recovery Plan. Uh, thank you, of course, to our listeners for tuning in, and we do encourage you to subscribe to the show on your favourite platform. If you'd like to find out more about this analysis, you can download the report for free on our website, and it's also available in full online at iea.org. <laughs>